You're listening to locally produced programming created in KUNV Studios on public radio, KUNV 91.5. The content of this program does not reflect the views or opinions of 91.5 Jazz and More, the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, or the Board of Regents of the Nevada System of Higher Education. Welcome back to another episode of Let's Talk UNLV. I'm Alicia Vaughn. And I'm Dr. Tanya Crabb, and we are at KUNLV 91.5. Welcome back, y'all. So this episode, we're going to start with something we call Mental Health Unplugged. Mm. And today, Alicia and I are just going to be chopping it up about mental health and just life in general. Mm -hmm. So we're going to start the way we start with our guests, which is we give our guests an opportunity to tell our origin story. Mm -hmm. So... Let's start with my origin story. How does one become a comic book loving, random acts of dancing clinical psychologist? <laughs> well, long story short, I am a Jamaican immigrant. I am a Persian Gulf Desert, Desert Storm veteran, prior service Marine. I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, honestly, my mental health journey began in a quite an, an interesting way which was that I myself had suffered from PTSD. Mm -hmm. Uh, My PTSD occurred when I was attacked outside of my door December 29th, 1999, I still remember the date, by a Mm 15-year-old. So, but before I go any close, any further, I just want to preempt this by saying, you know, this episode is going to have some conversations related to trauma. We won't get too deep or too wide, but for some people, just the subject of trauma can be triggering. So I want you to have permission to take care of yourself. Continuing on. Yeah. I think that's really important. And I think you mentioned, too, um, before we started recording, um, the mere fact that our campus has just experienced um, a horrific experience with the mass shooting back on December the 6th. This, too, has what prompted us to say, let's have a conversation centered around you know, um, mental health and the importance of it. So, and I love the fact that you share your expertise, your credentials and things like that. So the listeners understand not only are you um, an expert in this field, but you also outside of the human portion of what you've experienced that, you know, what we shared offline kind of led you into the field that you're in now. So yes. I think that's amazing, Tanya. Thank you. And and it's, it's a human portion of me that I'm bringing to the table in saying that, Um, When I talk about trauma, it's not from an outside perspective, it's from an inside perspective. I've lived it, I've experienced it at various points and junctures in my life. And, um, you know, the truth of the matter is that life comes for us all. Mm -hmm. Life comes for us all. And the one thing that trauma is not preventable if you're rich or if you're poor or if you're old or if you're young. It's just that the world that we live in sometimes has rough edges. Mm -hmm. And sometimes those rough edges affect us and we have difficulty managing our lives. So all that to say, um, my origin story is one sort of like a comic book superhero origin story, Mm -hmm. you know, where it starts in a really rough place. Mm -hmm. And then you suddenly discover that there might be ways for you to take care of yourself and then suddenly life is different for you. So for me, my PTSD actually led me into the field of psychology um, because the woman who was my uh, my therapist, who initially I avoided like the plague because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm Jamaican. We yeah, just, we don't do therapy. Nah. No. You don't put your business in the streets. So, you know, some people will say it's for crazy people, it's for this people, but no. Back then, that's just part of our culture too, don't you believe? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You don't you don't put your business in the street. Who this? Who this? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Who who this? You're gonna have this conversation with? I'm gonna tell you all your business, right? All your business? No, no, no. no. So 
for me to get to therapy, I had to have my own breakdown. Mm-hmm. And for me, that looked like um, a world in which I was hearing footsteps and having nightmares mm-hmm. and feeling hypervigilant and distrustful and emotionally dysregulated. And really, it's, that was the backdrop that sent me to therapy. Otherwise, I don't know. I, I don't know that I would have gotten there except that I had no choice but to get there. Mm-hmm. So I would like to give Alicia an mm. opportunity to share her origin story because, I, I, you know, similar to mine, she has her own instru- her own history with mm-hmm. the world coming for you. I do. And you know what? I like the fact that we're talking about where we started, and but also it, it's, you know, the mental health, but also the victory behind it because we're both sitting here um, having this conversation in our right mind and being able to share our experience in hopes that those who are listening can also have the comfort and confidence that they too can overcome. I remember... Um, I'm a, good, a great pastor of mine used to say, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. Bishop Calvin Scott back home. And for me, my origin story, originally um, born and raised in the Midwest, Missouri, St. Louis, Missouri, but have lived all, all over. I was on the um, East Coast for about nine years, down south to do my undergrad and then pursue um, my master's certifications and things like that for about six years. And now here I am on the West Coast. But it started in my childhood. My mother, um, unfortunately, at the time, suffered with mental illness. And because of that, um, part of our lives, our lives, meaning my siblings and I, were abandoned by my mother. And so that really was the seed of um, abandonment that really started for us. From there, um, we started being physically and verbally abused um, by relatives. And because of that, we were taken out of the home like bounced around to different homes before we were actually put into a children's home and split up. And so I grew up in a very um, dysfunctional, very traumatizing um, environment. But in the midst of that, I was already going through um, several surgeries because I was a, I'm a bone cancer survivor in the midst of being a child. So here you are displaced, dealing with health issues, dealing with rejection and abandonment. And I really didn't, I know for sure then, didn't have the capacity to really understand, let alone process what was happening to me. What really um, became somewhat my saving grace is when I met my godparents, who I mentioned, who said, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. I started going to church. So spirituality was really, um, I don't want to say necessarily my way out, but it was part of my healing in a sense, um, emotionally, and um, even had an impact on me physically. And so I would never forget he, um, my godparents at the time, Pastor and First Lady, they had three daughters, and we were all around the same age. And it was three of us, my siblings and I. And so he would pick us up sometimes on Tuesday youth night service, and then he also on Sunday would come pick us up. And I remember us being packed in a little Volvo car just to get there because we wanted to be able to um, engage in a place that was safe for us. So going to church for me was a place of safety. And I felt like for the first time that I belonged because you had people from all over dealing with different things, but they welcomed us. And it was a a sense of empowerment for us, you know. So in that time frame, within that hour particular time frame, I remember the speakers speaking. And most times it was about hope. It was about inspiration. And so I have just built upon that. And so later on, graduating um, in journalism and part of why I chose. Well, really, I believe journalism chose me was because um I wanted to be a voice for the voiceless, and I wanted to be a person, an agent of hope and inspiration. I wanted people to know that you can have a rough start. 
truth be told, I didn't see myself graduate from, you know, elementary, going into middle school, let alone high school, because my grades were just sporadically because I wasn't in an environment that was conducive to really learning and embracing education. And so I pursued journalism because I felt like it will give me not only others opportunity to be a voice, but it gave me my voice. Because as a kid, I didn't have the voice. It was other people making decisions for us. Where are we going to live? Where are we going to stay? You can't be in this home. You can't be here. No one ever really sat down and talked to us about how do you feel about being abandoned? You know, what happened to you when you got that first hit across your face? What happened when, you know, you were hearing someone who was so dear to you and close to you telling you that you're never going to be anything in life? What happened when you had to visit your mom in a mental institution and really, you know, and, and bailing your mom in and out of jail because she struggled with substance abuse and mental illness? And so... I needed to be not only a voice for others, but as I got older, I realized, really, I was speaking to the little girl that was in me. And so the somewhat disfortunate side of that, um, Tanya, Dr. Crabb, is that I then became a voice for everyone else and speaking and traveling and empowering everyone else, but secretly going home, still dealing with things that had never been addressed in my life. And I didn't have the confidence or somewhat the courage to really tell people, hey, I'm hurting too. But I would stand on platforms and I would speak and I would empower um, other individuals and I would share my testimony, but go home feeling defeated, not really feeling... um, all the things that I was telling others that they can do. So I'm filling others up, but I'm empty. And so I really believe it was probably after I went through my divorce, I at one point became homeless for a certain particular time. And I struggled, you know, really just trying to find my place in this world. And so after my divorce, shortly after in 2008, my mom passed away and I found my mom deceased. And that was the time where I realized that I can no longer, not necessarily pretend, but I can no longer cover or mask what was really going on. So me falling apart became my breakthrough. Wow. Me falling apart and really not, I just didn't have a choice. I could no longer hide or mask how I was feeling. And that was the point where my journey of healing and self-discovery, um, it became about me and not me helping others. Because I didn't realize, I thought really I was doing good, but it wasn't for me. And so for me to really show up and be my best self, I had to get into a place where I can really help me first so that I can help others. So I know that's a long story, but that's just a snippet up into now leading us into what we're 2024. Yeah, it's a beautiful story. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a brilliant story. So much of your story resonated with me. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know, when I talked about the PTSD, I didn't seek. I, I had no choice. Like mm-hmm. mental health came for me. And mm-hmm. for the same reasons, you know, I, I couldn't run from it. I couldn't hide from it. I couldn't mask it anymore. I could not hide behind the veneer of, well, I'm a woman or I'm mm-hmm. a black woman or I'm a or Jamaican or mm-hmm. I'm I'm a Marine. Like none of those defenses were successful. Mm-hmm. And to your point, you know, the reason I entered the field was very similar to help others find their voice, mm. to help others be strong. And recognizing that as I was traversing through that field, that so many of the things that I was offering to others, I did not give to myself, which is kind of why we're here today having this conversation. So I want to start off by saying for those who have experienced either the most recent tragedy that was December 6th or are still recovering from October 1 or are still recovering from COVID, I, the list can go on exactly. and on and on because life has not stopped during any of those moments. 
to start by recognizing and understanding if your body is still responding to those things. So some things that are, you know, we talk about fight, flight, freeze. Mm. We we don't talk necessarily about fain or fawn. <laughs> so, that part. So, you know, the fight, flight, freeze are pretty well known, you know, in the ways that we respond to it. It's, it's our physiological systems ramping up when we have that flight. So, you know, our cortisol is going, our adrenaline is going, our heart rate is going, our body is physically preparing to respond to something. But that's not everybody's story. Mm-hmm. For some people, we shut down. For some people, we disconnect. For some people, we withdraw. For some people, we disassociate. We, we dissociate. We, we, our minds leave because it cannot handle what's going on with us. For some people, fight and flight can look different. You know, it can be that anger that shows up for you that turns into those argumentative, disruptive relationship issues. You know, it can look like your brain checking out when you're, when flight can look like your brain checking out. Mm-hmm. And we all check out periodically. I mean, I'm not the only one who's been like, oh dang, I missed the last five minutes of meeting. But they say again, <laughs> you know, checking out is yeah. not uncommon, but it's, it's different when you can't come back, you know. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about the freeze. You know, it, there's nothing more disheartening when you, Tell yourself because of the character of person you think you are that you're going to respond a certain way. And then your brain says, no, we're doing this. I mean, isn't that so true, though? That's true. Because even in certain situations, you know, you're trained to do this and do that. But in the moment, all that seems to go out the door. And and it's not your fault. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's your body engaging this most basic of protective system that your reptilian brain has has organized is that it's going to do whatever it thinks it needs to do to survive. That's what I was going to say, to keep us alive. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Animals freeze. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, possums be like, oh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm not here. Mm-hmm. You know, animals mm-hmm. have all the same basic responses. The only difference that a- between us and animals is that we judge ourselves mm-hmm. for the ways we respond. And animals are just glad to have survived the situation. So true. So if you survived, if you survived, your brain did its job. The problem is that we have to deal with the feelings after survival. So another thing that happens when we've been through trauma is our emotional respect, our emotional reactions are a bit um, extreme. They can be a bit extreme, mm-hmm. you know, because this this thing that happened, our brain is trying to keep us safe. So it takes a small incident and it maps it into a larger world. So the person was wearing a red shirt. So suddenly red shirts were a problem. Yes. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. or cars are a problem or locations are a problem. So in its effort to keep us safe, our brains expand the trauma scape, if you will. You know, and for us, we in our efforts to keep safe, we start to avoid those places and spaces. And what that does eventually is it really does shrink your world. So if you feel as though life has got you a bit discombobulated, you know, I would say start to seek support. The thing you talked about, connection and belonging, mm-hmm. man, <laughs> Just being seen and validated mm. and understood is is, a, is an amazing thing. Being able to have the conversations is an amazing thing. So mm. I want to understand how do you navigate, you know, all of that? Because your story is, is deep and wide. Mm. How did you, you stuck spirituality was one of your tools for navigation. What's another spirituality tool? Spirituality was one. And then also counseling. You know, you mentioned about the PTSD. 
I used to feel, well, I was told growing up, you know, from various people in our culture that only crazy people go to therapy. You know, what is it going to do to sit down and talk to people and this and that and the other? But I learned that going to therapy was more more in depth than just talking. It was speaking with the individual that will help you really handhold in some degree to unpack and then also come up with necessary coping mechanisms and tools to get through, you know, when you're having a panic attack or if you're having a flashback or you're even experiencing a high level of anxiety. I didn't really even have words to put to the feelings or the emotions back then until I started seeking out a counselor. Um, now, so, I, so the second coping me- mechanism was counseling. And then really self-preservation, just working and really just doing things that honestly bearing myself in work, becoming overcommitted in different things was really mm. like a coping mechanism for me. You mm. know, too busy to be too busy, too busy to really take care of myself in a sense. And mm. I didn't know, even though it's not a positive thing, that was one way that I cope. Mm. And then I will look back on the year like, where did my time go? You know, I said I was going to do this and, you know, and I didn't do that, but I was filling my schedule with so many different things because really I didn't want to really, I was avoiding, mm-hmm. you know, really talking about those things. So um, there were two that were positive as coping, but one, you know, such as being busy and over committing myself or overachieving in certain areas was the third thing that served originally as a positive, but became a negative if not managed correctly. Mm-hmm. So, um, but you know, what's so ironic is that I lived a life, I I volunteered for, you know, different organizations and non-for-profits that dealt with abuse and substance abuse and speaking to that. And like I said, empowering other people. But at one day I just had to decide when I lost it all, you know, really fell apart that, hey, I need to rebuild. So it's a day by day, situation by situation. You do have situations where you're reminded or you're triggered, like, you know, December the 6th was a trigger for me, mm-hmm. um, being on campus and experiencing those things, but then also being committed to getting the help. And I've already, you know, come to terms with and agree that I will forever be seeking out counseling and development and therapy for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And it's okay. You know, and it's not a bad thing, but it I, I need to make sure that I heal, restore, and have a support system that I need to live a healthier life. You know, you made some really wonderful points. Can we talk about um, what we call self-medicating? Mm, so yes. that's another way folks often deal with trauma is self-medicating. Mm. And when we think of self-medicating, oftentimes we're like, oh, alcohol or drugs, no, ma'am. Mm-hmm. You can self-medicate with work. Yes. <laughs> you can you can use that as a tool to, to, to soothe your nerves so that you don't have to deal with what's really happening in your life. Mm-hmm. You can self-medicate with sex. Yes, that is a thing that yes. people do. Eating. You know, you can self-medicate with food. For food, yeah. You know, all of these things that, that are used to sort of, you mentioned them, avoidance tactics rather than having to deal with the real issues at hand. And in the beginning, they do feel well, except that nothing changes. That's right. You recognize the things you were working on. Nothing has shifted. And you said something that I, I want people to understand and hear is that mental health is no different than your physical health. Like if you have a broken leg, you're going to go to the doctor. That's true. You know, and so mental health is an integral part of your life in the same ways. You know, I I tell people that when I went to grad school, this is my favorite line about grad school, Mm -hmm. have a therapist on retainer. I'm telling you, because I was thinking, what did what did I sign up for this? Oh, yes. I thinking. Oh, yes. Do people pay? I'm paying to put myself through this process. Yes. Same thing for me when I was in grad school. Yes. Have a therapist on um, retainer. retainer. Yeah. Because I knew that that who I was and how I was put together that, you know, those pressure points still existed for mm-hmm. me. So 
I treated it like a doctor's appointment. Mm-hmm. I went in for my regular emotional checkups yes, to make sure things I was great. I like that. But why do you think that our society puts more emphasis on physically being well and they disassociate it with the mental compulsion? But we're, we're one, I mean, we're a whole being. We're not one, but a I whole being. I am so glad you asked that you question know? because we have not yet recognized or acknowledged that it's all connected. Mm-hmm. When I am anxious, my chest hurts. Yes. My stomach is upset. Mm-hmm. My my emotional state impacts my physical state. Mm-hmm. Our emotional state impacts whether or not we have high cholesterol. Do you know that your emotional wow. state can it can trigger somatic experiences? Mm-hmm. It can trigger sensories and feelings in your body. Mm-hmm. You know, so they're not separate entities. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes your body will tell you what something is wrong before your brain will acknowledge that something is wrong. Mm-hmm. So yes. You know, there's a reason when you have a panic attack, your heart is racing because your your autonomic nervous system, your sympathetic nervous system, which is your fight, flight, freeze, gets activated when you're emotionally triggered. Mm-hmm. And also fun fact, not so fun fact, mm-hmm. is that when you're emotionally triggered, your prefrontal cortex shuts off, <laughs> shuts down. So really? if you're wondering why I can't think when I'm mad, mm. because your brain has left the building. Yes. And much in the same way, we can use our bodies to regulate itself. Mm -hmm. We can actually use our bodies to calm our nervous system down, Mm -hmm. to balance our emotional state, to decrease some of those symptoms. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we've always kept those two places of us separate, Mm -hmm. you know, and they are very much intricately connected. So, yes. You said that so beautifully. And the way you break it down, you all are not in the studio. You can't see the hand movements and the eye contact and the, the energy that is coming behind Dr. Tanya. But I love really sincerely how you broke that down because I do find in our society that we treat it like it's a separate thing, but it's part of who we are. Oof. And if you're not if you're not well here, like you said, everything else is going to have an impact. You know, I remember, too, one of the um, therapists saying that some of the physical things that you're experiencing may not that may just be the symptom you know that part that may just be the symptom your body's letting you know that there are some things off and when we just keep treating that we need to get to the root of what the real illness is so that you know you can you can aid your body to from heal into healing you know in a good way so i'm glad we're having this conversation me too i really am and i hope that those who are listening they're getting like oh my gosh that's me oh that's me okay and now you're getting resources or um resolutions on how to deal with some of these things you know that we deal with on a day-to-day basis centered around mental health. And and I want to hip somebody to hip some folks to mm-hmm. something. There's this thing called this adverse childhood experiences mm-hmm. where it's a it's a, a survey of the things that children experience through life that are actually impactful in their well-being going down the line. And the more ACEs you have, the more likely you're going to have physical ailments. Mm-hmm. The more likely that you're going to have substance use issues. So the more things that happen to you when you are a child even though to an adult it may not be traumatic, something like abandonment, you, your family is your life. You know, not having those people in your life that are supposed to take care of you can have a profound effect on how you move in this world in terms of your relationship and your physical body. Hmm. You know, autoimmune diseases. I would say that if you have an opportunity to look at this video called um, Nadine Burke. Her name is Dr. Nadine Burke, and she has this TED Talk on ACEs. If you're wondering why your physical shape isn't what it, you want it to be, if you're wondering why you're suffering from certain conditions, and 
It can be traced back to the things that happened to you before you were even cognizant of a word called trauma. Wow. You're given all this knowledge. You have a lot of knowledge, but also you refer us to things that, you know, we can revisit outside of just having this conversation. I I want to also normalize one other thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Can we normalize taking care of ourselves? <laughs> can we? Can we? Can, can we, we normalize that? Say it again. Can we me. normalize? Take, can we normalize like eating away from the desk? Right. <laughs> right. <Can we> Detaching <laughs> from work. Right. Yes. Yeah, can, okay. can we normalize boundaries around work schedules? Can we? Like I, I'm, I'm making it a point. I'm not answering you after work hours because mm-hmm. I don't want to train you to think I'm gonna answer you mm-hmm. after work hours. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, can we normalize, you know, because oftentimes when we think of self-care, we have this grand idea. I got to get a massage. Mm-hmm. No, you, you just got to eat today. Right. How about that? Welcome mm-hmm. to self-care 101. Right, right. Did, did you bathe this morning? Right. Welcome to self-care 101. 101. You know, um, did, did you did you not take that phone call because you just weren't in the right headspace? Welcome to self-care. Mm-hmm. 101. 101. Mm-hmm. You know, it's those basic things that we, we neglect, mm-hmm. you know, um, this year, my body and I, we we're 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 trying to mend our relationship mm-hmm. because, you know, I was thinking about it. My stomach is like the only time you talk to me is to tell me to shut up. Ooh, stop growling. Just mm-hmm. I'm gonna need you to be quiet. I'm busy right now, mm-hmm. or like I'm mad at how you look in them pants. <laughs> <laughs> and my body sustains me. My relationship with my body should be a better one. Mm-hmm. You know, things like denying ourselves food. Mm-hmm. Rest. Denying ourselves rest. Prioritizing other people's over our own physical health. Mm-hmm. Not taking a sick day until you like have no choice but to take a sick day. Mm-hmm. Those small things. Can we normalize loving us? Mm. And I know for a fact there's someone listening like, yeah, me too. Can we normalize that? Because without us, I mean, we, we put in so many works, you know, hours at work and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. But at the end of the day, if you're not good, all these other things that we're attempting to do, we may not even accomplish those things. Or you might not be around to accomplish yeah. those things. You're burning the candle at, at both ends, such yes. as myself. My hand is raised in the studio, you know, and I, too, took some time after the incident. I took some time to and I'm still taking time to process, but also to reevaluate where am I? And where am I going? And just because I've been doing something for God knows how many years in a certain way and it's gotten me this far doesn't mean that it's good for me. You know, you and I have had some sidebar conversations about this. So I'm hoping, you know, not to discourage people, but I think sometimes we do need to check in with ourselves and say, where am I at and where am I going? Absolutely. You know, it may have worked in that season, but what is the season that we're getting ready to embark upon that is going to best serve me? Yep. And making sure that you're well emotionally, mentally is so important. And can we normalize not filling our cup to share with other people? Mm-hmm. Like I've been thinking about that. There's mm-hmm. been some of those statements I've been thinking I'm a about share. for a long time. Like I don't fill my cup so you can have some. Mm-hmm. If I was at a restaurant, the waiter's not like, can you pour yeah. some of your cup into that guy <laughs> next to you's cup? Isn't it the truth? No. Nah, That's around, a great analogy. He brings around the picture. I'm mm-hmm. all about showing people the faucet mm-hmm. <laughs> so they can fill their own cups. No, I'm like, here, he says you want some too here. Yeah, I'm, I'm about yeah. showing you your faucet so you can fill your own cup because if I am always giving you for my cup, then I'm always depleted. Yeah. And that's that's going to be a no for me, dog. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I want us to reevaluate some of the ways in which we 
perceive life. You know, that other one, what doesn't kill you make you stronger. Yeah. My husband's so funny. He said, or it can cripple you for life. <laughs> Isn't that the truth, though? <laughs> Look, they, they, yeah, we talk about the stronger part, but what about the crippling? Yeah. Yo, I am no longer normalizing struggle. Mm-hmm. Nope, I'm not mm-hmm. co-signing that. Me neither. Mm-hmm. Nope. Me neither. But, you know, I want for, let's, can we live, leave the listeners um, with a little hope? Absolutely. So, because not only did you go through those things at 15, um, not only did you survive going to, you know, war or, you know, being in the service, but you obtained your doctorate degree. You've poured in so many people's lives and given them hope, including myself. So for those who are listening, can you just share how, you know, you're not this is just your end, but where you're at now that brought you to that place to give them hope? I am. I am so glad that you asked that question. I am learning to love me. Mm. And I'm learning to know me, which is kind of like random and weird. But if you no, think about it's, it, it's phenomenal. Well, but, but if you think about it, growing up, especially as a woman, you don't have agency over your life or your body for most of your life. Mm-hmm. I am developing a relationship with me where I love me out loud. Mm. <laughs> I love me out loud. So learn to love you out loud and start to love you by paying attention to the things you say to you in the quiet of your mind. If the things that you say to you aren't things you would say out loud to someone else, then that's an issue, mm-hmm. you know? And if you don't know how to love you, go talk to someone who sees the best in you so they can remind you how to love you. Mm-hmm. So what would be your tips? I would say it's never too late to get started. Oof. Some people may feel like I'm in my 40s, my 50s, 30s. It's never too late to get started, you know? I'm getting started in regards to learning to love me at a very, you know, it's I'm I'm older. I'm not in college anymore. I'm not in middle school, but it's never too late to get started. And then also um, just really taking it one day at a time. Oh, and before I forget to mention it, because I know I will forget to mention Mm -hmm. it. um, We are hosting an opportunity to learn to love you and learn to take care of you. A program called Reset, Renew, Rebuild and that's going to be taking place this Saturday. Mm-hmm. It's also going to be taking place February the 10th. They're both in person. This is a workshop where you just learn how to lean in, learn how to breathe, learn how to be. Tanya.crab at unlv.edu. And I will send you the link to this wonderful event. Thank you all so much for listening. I'm so excited. We'll talk to you next time. Mm-hmm.